chapter 2 at verse 24, where we read these words. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As is so often our custom and as is timely for us, we've spent the last couple of days in these services together seeking to draw near to the cross and to consider and reflect on the different aspects of the cross just a little bit. There is so much for us to take in and so much for us to reflect upon. But we consider and reflect upon the cross as the central event for us and its application to us is our own salvation. We've considered on last evening, last night, we considered together the shepherd struck and the contrast with the sheep fleeing. And earlier today, as we came together and prior to uh, sitting at the table together, we considered the survey of the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And we want to consider and think of these things and think more of them to improve in our own thoughts of our appreciation of what Christ has done for us. The cross is really the central event of everything, of all of history. It's the central event of God's word, central event of the Bible, central event of the Gospels, but it's the central event of our life of faith, of what we believe and what we trust in. And so we've come over these services to think of the cross in this way, and its application to ourselves and our salvation, the hope that we derive from what Christ has done for us, and to consider again the necessity of this cross. It's for our sin. It's for our estrangement from God. It's for our enmity with God, our hostility to God. It's for our exclusion and our rebellion. Because the natural way and the natural manner is our own choice. And what occurred there in the Garden of Eden is replicated in all our sin. That the laying hold of that fruit was an enthronement of self. And the laying hold of the things that didn't belong to us. And Casting aside and abandoning the authority and sovereignty of God and rather living life by self, our own way. And abandoning all that was good and all that was right. And the repercussions of that choice and the repercussions of that sin and all our sin is felt every day. What was brought in in the fall with Adam and Eve has been chaos, confusion, exclusion, the corrosive effect of sin let loose on all of creation, on all of humanity, in our every relationship, in our every situation, the great reality of being found under the curse and lost and being those who are excluded from that paradise and that relationship with God. The cross is essential. Because this is the place of hope, 
in otherwise a hopeless world. This is the place of light where otherwise there is darkness. This is the place of redemption that speaks to our lostness. This is the place of peace and reconciliation and forgiveness. This is where we find the cross work of Christ in our salvation to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves and to give us access back back to God, back to fellowship and relationship, back to paradise. The cross is the way to heaven. More than that, the only way to heaven. But when we survey the cross, we come here with our view. And it is faith and the new birth that gives that transformative view of the cross. To be able to say that he was put there for me, for my sin. That makes everything we've learned and heard and everything we've encountered in God's word personal and real. To make this cross for our salvation. To come to this place with faith and repentance and to find our sins washed away and that we are forgiven. Forgiven. Who'd have thought we could have been forgiven? And this is the way. And I want us to think just a little further this evening with respect to the cross. To respect to, with respect to, to the words that Peter is recording for us. And the context of this too. In chapter 2, he is speaking to us in a very practical way. Which we can su- summarize in that respect In verse 16, live as people who are free. We are free. We are free in him. We are freed by the cross. We are made free by our Savior, our Redeemer. And so Peter brings before us the manner and the way in which we have been called to live. And he tells us here in verse 21, for to this you have been called. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Follow in his steps. This is what we're to be. Then he brings before us what Jesus suffered. Not for himself, not because of what he was due, but for us, as our substitute, as our Savior. In verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. Let's think a little in this regard. And here, Peter is using the language for tree, for the language for the cross. And of course, this is often a part of scripture, using these words to reflect the same thing. The tree, the cross, he has taken us to Golgotha. He has taken us to Calvary. He has taken our thoughts there to our Savior on his And that great act of crucifixion that fulfills the messianic expectation. All that was demanded of righteousness. All that was demanded of God's law and God's will. And that included his agony. He bore our sins. He tells us here in verse 24, by his wounds you have been healed. 
He is speaking this language of agony. We saw this, in fact, in Isaiah chapter 53. How he was wounded for our transgressions. It's not for himself, it's for us. It's our sin. He cares for us. He loves us. He redeems us. And what we're told in God's word is that he became a curse for us. In fact, this is a citation, really, of what Peter has here. Paul also cites this in Galatians 3 and in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And the reference is to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and it's verses 22 and 23. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. Hanged on a tree, crucified. Here is the curse motif. Here is Christ as a curse for us. And it is for us to think about all that he has endured. As we've touched already today on many different elements here. Of the plot against him of the Jewish council against him, of the trial before Pilate, of the mocking and derision of the Roman soldiers, of the abuse he faced from all the people, of the condemnation that was his sentence, of the fact that the shepherd was struck for us, wounded for us, in all that he experienced in the pain and anguish of Calvary. And what transacted there was something between the Father and the Son. Between heaven and earth. When Jesus was made a curse for us. And Peter says, he himself. It's emphatic. He is calling us to concentrate our thoughts. To think about what Jesus did for us. He bore our sin. He embraced the cross. He took the shame of the cross. He suffered in our room and in our place. Not for any sin of his own. He was innocent. This man did nothing wrong. It's our sin he is bearing on the tree. In himself. Obedient to death. The great contrast to Adam. Where Adam failed. Where Adam was disobedient, where Adam transgressed God's will, God's way, Jesus was faithful, hanging on a tree for our sin. We are being reminded how real and true his suffering was. We are told that it is in his body, it is in his soul. The agony that goes on. In fact, Peter even uses the language in chapter 1 here in verse 19. That, that he speaks of our being redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ for us. Shed for us. To wash our sins. Though our sins be as scarlet. Though there is this great catalogue of our sin. Washed away. Made clean. And he does this in the reality of his person. 
in the reality of the place of Golgotha, he embraces this great reality of the anguish and pain. He bore our sins. This is the language that we understand is the language of sacrifice. The language of an offering. And so what Peter then is picturing for us is that our Lord and Savior is taking our sin to the altar. To atone. To intercede. To pay. To make us free. And the altar and the place that this transaction occurs, it's the cross. It's the tree. It is there as he is hanging there. He is bearing our sin. He is redeeming us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. He himself bore our sins. And then he says too, by his wounds you have been healed. The the, the language here of Peter is a language of confidence. It's a language of surety. It's a language that understands and comprehends the acceptable nature of this sacrifice and the effectiveness of what Christ has done. This is done. It's all done. It's finished, he said from the cross. What Peter says is, you have been healed. It's been done by him. The application of that Christ work in that personal nature to the believer, to the Christian... This is what it is to know him. You know, to really know him. Not just to be able to record in your own mind all the different Bible stories. But that this is real. That you're alive to this. That you're placing your trust in him. That you're able to say, he has saved me. He has saved me. That your heart leaps with joy because you have hope. That there is redemption. That you found healing. That you've been healed. And that mercy is communicated to us. And applied to us. From the cross. From the tree. When we are surveying this scene. We survey all the different aspects of it. But here is the greatness of the mercy of God and its power its power this healing is powerful the gospel writers remind us that they took Jesus to Golgotha and they put his cross they hung that cross between two condemned men. There were three crosses. Jesus' cross is in the middle, and as we referred in the morning, that, that this was supposed to be the worst place. He was front and center. Here are these two men, career criminals, a catalog of all the different things that they ever did in their lives had caught up with them, where they had gone in life, how, how life itself had unraveled and how it was so broken and how they were so broken and life was so dark and finally everything catches up with them. And they've come to this place uh, of condemnation that Pilate himself would have had to condemn them 
That they stand before the, the jurisdiction of Rome. And Rome says there's nothing else to do with you. But we've got this crucifixion. We've got this capital punishment. We've taken crucifixion and we've modified it to make it as painful and as awful as possible. Where you'll be fighting for your breath. This is the sentence you deserve. And they're there on that cross fighting for their breath. Under the condemnation and sin of the catalogue of everything they've ever done wrong. And the reality of their guilt that they've got no defence for. Absolutely none. Life is hopeless to them. They are powerless. And they say one to another that they deserve this. They're in their last hours. And they're in such a position and such a state, they can do nothing, nothing for themselves. All they're trying to do is breathe. Till they can breathe no more. And one of them turns to Jesus. Can you heal me? Have you got power? Can you save me? Can you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. You see what Peter is saying here in verse 24. You are strained like sheep. We're all like the prodigal. We all left the father's house. We all wandered away. We wandered away from what is right and what is good. We wandered away from the things that we ought to have done. We were like sheep straying away doing our own thing. Not doing what we should have done. And we were falling into more and more sin and more and more darkness. And in the midst of it all, of everything that has happened in your life and where you are today, there is an invitation. An invitation for healing. With his wounds you have been healed. This is the gospel. Where else can you find this healing from? The healing that you need. The healing of your soul. The healing of your lostness. The healing of your prodigal nature. You need a shepherd. A shepherd who's going to bring you home. A shepherd who can heal your wounds. With whose stripes you can be healed. This is what he does for us. With his wounds we are healed. But we need to come to the right place. We need to come to the Savior. We need to come like that thief on the cross. With absolutely nothing but a plea. Remember me. Help me. Save me. I know what I am. And I know what, how powerless I am. There is the thief on the cross and he is stripped of every sense and ounce of self-sufficiency. There's no pride left. There's no self-reliance left. There's no desire for autonomy left. There's no power left in his life. There is only one thing he has left. A prayer. 
a plea, a look to the wounded Savior. Will this man heal me? I've spent this service and last service and last night as I referred to trying to speak about the cross to some extent or another. And if there's nothing you can take away from what I've said but one thing, let it be this. We need to believe that what happened on Calvary was enough. That it was enough. Enough to heal us. Enough to save us. You remember the, the letter of Paul to the Galatians that we've referred to. How Paul wrote to the Galatians and here these people and they were living a very religious life. And they had been given a great deal of information, but Paul doesn't commend them. It's a very different letter to so many other letters. He rebukes them. Because they thought that he could add something to the gospel. And what Paul does in the letter to the Galatians is, he says, Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. We cannot do or say anything that merits our salvation. We are all like the thief. Broken. Hurt. Deserving that condemnation. Recognizing the reality of the need to see our hopelessness and despair. And what faith is calling you today to do is to look to Christ. To look at him who was wounded for us. To look even in these final moments of your life. Here is the thief on the cross. And it's a deathbed experience. Do you believe in a deathbed experience or conversion? I do. I believe I've seen it. Maybe once. Maybe once. But most deathbeds know. Isn't it better to come now? Is this not the best time to come? To hear the invitation of the Savior? To recognize here that this is everything, this is enough? That he is all we need. That his wounds are effective. That he is able to say the work is finished. He has completed it all on Calvary. He has completed the work on Golgotha. It is sufficient for our salvation. He has opened the way of hope. For you and me. And not just hope. But our way back. Where Adam was shut out of. It is the way back to God, the restoration to God. It's the way back to heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. Is that not what Adam had lost? Tell me, friend, how are you going to get to heaven? By his wounds we are healed. It's him. 
and what he has done. And when he heals, he heals completely. Everything else that we go to and turn to, it's so temporary and so transient. It's just for a moment and we need more and more and more. But here is something that is sufficient and complete. A complete healing of everything that has caused us pain. Even what is self-inflicted. This is the good shepherd. He restores my soul. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds we have been healed. The commentator, the theologian Grudem says that these words describe for us the very heart of the gospel. He becomes the curse for us to remove the curse from us. To, to pay the price. By his wounds we are healed. At Calvary is everything is dealt with. And we are called to trust the shepherd. But we need faith. To survey this cross in the way and the manner that we ought to. We need to be born again. We need to repent of our sins we need to come to that full commitment of salvation to lay hold of him fully and completely. By his wounds you have been healed. But Peter is also saying to us here in verse 24 that we might die to sin and live to righteousness because, friends, when you are healed, you are alive. You're alive. You'll have spent days in hospital. Maybe you've been very unwell. Maybe you've gone through a difficult procedure or a great operation and you're, you're lying in bed and you're unable to do all the things that you want to do. But you recover. You get home. You go back to work. You go back to your life. Healing is life. And this is what we're called to do, to live out our identity in Christ to live out what it means to be healed, to be forgiven, to have found salvation, to know and live out that cross work every single day. And this is what Peter is exhorting us to, to live out the life of faith, to live it out fully and completely as free people, liberated, healed, sanctified, washed, redeemed, empowered by the great reality of forgiveness and redemption. When the gospel comes into your life and makes you a new person, everything changes. You are a new creature in Christ. Your life is transformed. Jesus has intervened into your life and he has applied what he has achieved on the cross into your soul and he heals you and he restores you. This is what the good shepherd does. He makes you a new person. You are alive in Christ. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, but he has washed you. He has made you clean. He has made you alive. But he's telling you to live this out. And after we've spent time around the cross, and after we affirm the great promises and proclamations of the gospel, we don't leave all of this 
simply to heaven. We're new creatures. Let's live this out. Let's witness the reality of grace. Let's witness what it looks like to have a life that is transformed by grace. We have been healed. We ought to show it. In these verses that we have here, he's calling us to live. To live in that sense of humility. To live in the life of faith. To give ourselves fully and completely to what he has called us to in chapter 2. Put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. Live as newborn infants. Live out your identity is calling us to do. To give ourselves fully and completely to that life of humility. That life of the calling of God in our lives. Where he tells us even here in verse 23. That Jesus, he comm- sorry verse 22. He committed no sin. When he was reviled, he reviled not in return. He himself bore our sins in the body. This is how we are to live. To live for Christ. To give ourselves fully to him. To come to that cross and to say it's our all in all. That there we are crucified to the world and the world crucified to us. And rather what we're living for is something better and something greater. In chapter 5, Peter goes on in bringing things to a conclusion in verse 6. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Cast all your anxiety on him. He cares for you. Be watchful. Resist the devil. Stay firm in your faith. And then in verse 10, after you have suffered a little, after you have suffered a little, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. You see what Peter is doing there when he's concluding this letter. He's telling us that we must wait for something better. We must be the people who are waiting for something better. But every day and every moment in this life, we are living informed impressed and transformed by the most important place of all, Calvary, where we hear the gospel, where we see the gospel, where we know here there is an invitation. And the invitation is to you and me, is to sinners such as we are, It's to that thief on the cross that nobody else gave any hope for, whose life was lived in a catalogue of sin. It is this invitation for life. And it is the call to walk in this way, the way of the Lord, the way of restoration, the way of hope, the way of salvation. This is the Savior we need. This is the Lord who alone heals us. This is the Good Shepherd who restores our soul. I'm just here visiting. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. And I don't know where you've been or what you've done.
and I don't know how you feel or how hurt you are. Maybe no one knows how hurt you are. Maybe no one knows how broken you are. Maybe no one understands or comprehends. But someone does. And he can heal you. To wash all your sin. To give you life and hope. Don't fall into despair when there is hope on offer. Don't be lost when there is salvation brought to you here in the gospel. Don't lose the great reality of this invitation. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds you have been healed. This is at the very heart of the gospel. The gospel story. The gospel invitation. The gospel power. Yes, you could be saved. You could be forgiven. You could be healed. What a wonder. What a saviour. What a cross. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks to you for your word and for the gospel that brings salvation's invitation to us of hope and healing and how necessary it is for our world in all its brokenness and all the sorry situations that we see all around us and even sometimes within us. Help us, Lord, to have the faith that eternal vision that is able to lay hold of our Saviour in faith and hope and repentance and is able to see all our sins washed away and to be cleansed and to walk in the reality of that life where sin is put to death and we live in that holiness and wait upon the Lord and his great reward. Forgive us then, we pray, and all we ask is in Jesus' name. Amen. Our concluding item of praise is from Psalm 85.